Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. So we have some sort of negative news on the Pelicans and the Bucks, but what about starting with Tyrese Halliburton? What did you see from that Bucks game, and, and where's your head at with Tyrese right now? No, I mean, you know I love Tyrese Halliburton. I told you earlier this season he's one of like my top five, ten players to watch in the league. He's climbing that board with each successive performance. There doesn't seem to be any fool's goal about it. He's been going for a, a quarter of the season straight, playing at this level, putting up these huge numbers, getting wherever he wants on the court. That side shuffle, step back three-pointer over Brooke as the dagger shot was just absolutely filthy. And seeing that in person was like, oh my God, this guy's got it. He really wanted the moment. Doesn't it feel like he just jacked John Morant's lane? Like John Morant had that lane. He completely self-combusted last year. And now Tyrese Halliburton has like stepped into that lane as the like future point guard with a chance to be one of the faces of the NBA. Obviously, we're not going to be seeing Tyrese Halliburton on Instagram Live doing any kind of dumb stuff. Is he going to sell sneakers like John? Maybe not. But, you know, for these small market franchises that are so desperate to get attention, I think they're going to put the Pacers on Christmas next year. You know, I think it's that type of deal, especially if they can continue to build buzz and and potentially, you know, get in the playoffs and make some noise there. Um, I'm still skeptical that they will be able to do what they want to do against elite postseason defenses across the course of a series. But when you're playing just them, they're a matchup nightmare. Reminds me of college basketball. It's like, uh, remember the Arkansas Razorbacks, the 40 minutes of hell, right? Mm -hmm. Where they just like the full court pressure and all that, just kind of throw everybody off. They'd get in the tournament and just, you know, you can't really prepare for it and they just take care of you. Um, Look, it's not – I mean, it's it's 40 minutes of heaven from the Pacers' defense <laughs> when you're going against them. But the offense, man, that's pretty hellish. Like, it's pretty tough to stop them, and the Bucs um, weren't able to do it when it mattered. You know, they threw a zone out. Halliburton figured out the zone. The Pacers didn't even shoot that well. They almost scored 130 points. It was a pretty impressive juggernaut. So, uh, you know, love him off the court. You know, he's, he's pretty funny. Um in a bashful type of way, you know, I, I think he he kind of wants the attention, but he also isn't like thirsty for it, which I appreciate. He's very team oriented, tries to keep his teammates involved. Do they all swear by him? I mean, Abi Toppin, all these guys, Miles Turner, anytime they talk about uh, Halliburton, it's like just uh, over the top praise. They just love him. Carlisle is in heaven. You know, I think going from Luca to Halliburton in terms of just like a day to day life existence, you know, it's like less pressure because you don't have the Luca expectations, but also just like way easier to like get up so in the much when, easier. Yeah. I yeah. can't even imagine uh, what a quality right. of life improvement for good old Rick Carlisle. I've always been a Rick uh-huh. Carlisle guy. People have always said that about me. Yeah. So, I mean, well, he's, he's loving Rick. Car- Rick Carlisle is a Rick Carlisle guy right now. Cause his life is great. You know, he's like, <laughs> He, this just fell into his lap and he can't believe it. So, you know, you add all those things up and it was uh, it was really cool to see him have that moment. And now he gets a stage with LeBron. We'll see how he uses it. You know, I mean, that's going to be a, a different type of matchup. They have lots of long athletic defenders to throw on him, rotate on him. But uh, I love that he took this thing so seriously. You know, this is what Ja was trying to talk about two years ago. Oh, we want the Warriors on Christmas, right? Well, you talked about it and you weren't about it. You know, you just mm-hmm. kind of let everybody down. You know, you talked, but you didn't walk. And what Halliburton did this weekend was walk. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and you could tell people are starting to to catch Halley fever. You know, it was spreading among like NBA employees, the the media writers, everybody. Like there was a lot of people in the press conference sort of tapping their watch, you know, uh, right. <laughs> uh, waiting for Halley to come out and do his press, uh, his post game interviews. So 
Uh, no, it was uh, about as good as it could get. And his dad's a true character. I mean, the guy loves his son and you know, we stand a stand, you know, I, I definitely, <laughs> I stand a lot of things. And to see somebody who sort of like is as passionate about his son as I am about my passions, I think anybody can relate to that, right? Man, he really is replacing John ja Morant. He's got the super fan dad and everything. So yeah, watching Tyrese Halliburton, that has been hands down the coolest story of the in-dash season tournament. And I think his emergence is a big reason this has worked to the extent it has over the last couple of weeks. Like the people who love basketball have been locked into these games. And so for him to answer the bell the way he did first against the Celtics and then again against the Bucks. Yeah. And, And it's funny because I find myself like when we talked on Monday, we recorded like 45 minutes before the two games started, which is inadvisable if you're a podcaster out there. Uh, but we were both sort of skeptical that the Pacers were going to be able to defend at a high enough level to win games that mattered. And uh, and we both picked the Celtics and I watched. But the- they didn't. Well, no, they didn't really. They, they just they just outscored everybody. <laughs> they outscored everybody, and, and that was what was eye opening. Is like the Celtics couldn't defend the Pacers when it mattered. The Bucks couldn't defend the Pacers when it mattered. And it's not like they've got world beaters on offense. Like Matherin was kind of a mess against the Bucks. Buddy Heald wasn't making shots. Obi Toppin, I, I'm still not sure whether I trust him to be good on a regular basis. He's hit some shots for them though this year, um, but. Tyrese Halliburton just puts so much pressure on the defense and he's so good at making life easier for his teammates and just like screaming up and down the floor and wearing teams out that they took out like the two best teams in the East and the teams that everyone has said all year, these are Eastern Conference finalists and they're in a tier of their own in the East. Well, neither one of them could guard the Pacers. And so I'm not sure how much stock to put into that. Uh, but it definitely had me doing a bit of a double take as I sort of write the Pacers off as a serious team this season and over the next couple of years. Cause I don't think that there's like a ton of help waiting on the horizon for them. Uh, but maybe they don't necessarily need that much help to be able to compete with the best teams in the conference. Well, so like that Celtics game, I kind of felt like, you know, that's kind of a game one where the Celtics treat it like a feel out. And then, in this tournament format, you don't get feel-out games, right? So you can't just sort of be like lackadaisical and kind of going through the motions and assuming you're going to be able to pull it out down the stretch because you've been there before and they haven't in that game, you know, in that quarterfinal game. And Indiana just made a pay for a great run at the end. It was a lot about the Pacers and their crowd and the excitement and just overwhelming the Celtics. Lots of very classic, you know, late game meltdowns from Boston, you know, both JB and JT just not really getting it done. And so it felt like to me, okay, well, if there was a series, I would still take the Celtics to win that series. And I would still take the Bucks to beat the, um, the Pacers because they would at least be able to adjust, get a feel for how to, to guard, when to like deploy zones, when to pressure Halliburton, who to leave open as shooters and those kinds of things. And like over the, the, the course of a series, the experience and maybe the talent advantage would win out. But the Pacers are built perfectly for this type of uh, event and they, they've really done it. What I wanted to ask you is, you know, a week or two ago, I was kind of poo-pooing the idea of Halliburton as an MVP candidate because I said, put his stats into context, look at how good their defense is, like, or really how bad their defense is. It's kind of a one-way, um, you know, show and they're pretty shameless about it, but it's still working for them. 
after watching him in that semifinals, you know, Carlisle was like, yeah, he does deserve the MVP talk. So was I wrong, Andrew? Uh, put mm. me on the spot. Should Halliburton be in this MVP convo? What do you think? So here's where I'm at with Tyrese Halliburton after the last 96 hours. You know how sometimes there will be like a material event in the life of a corporation and the New York Stock Exchange will freeze all trading because it's just too volatile. That's how I feel about Halliburton right now. Like a, a friend of the program, NBA University at NBA University on Twitter tweeted today, you're a GM. Who would you build your team around? SGA, parentheses, 25 years old and five months, or Tyrese Halliburton, 23 years old and nine months. That is a really difficult question to answer. You know, if you ask me a couple days ago, I answer SGA very, very quickly and don't think twice about it. But having watched him eviscerate the Celtics and hit big shots, he's hit like massive shots in these games and has also hit massive shots elsewhere in this Pacers season. And so I'm beginning to sort of get more comfortable with the idea that he's just one of the best shooters in the league and one of the best clutch shooters in the league. And this is just sort of what he does and who he is. But at the same time, I find myself is sort of bracing myself a little bit. Like I, it, the Bucks are such a disaster on defense, and the Celtics, to your point, like they weren't playing playoff rotations in that game. They didn't really alter their rotations at all against the Pacers, or with or with playoff intensity. Right? I mean, the main yeah. guys just didn't. Yeah, they, there was no like medal round LeBron on the Boston side of things, right? It, exactly. And Porzingis was out, so it's like I want to just see a little bit more before I start entertaining like Tyrese Halliburton top five conversations. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but like if I had to choose right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton is definitely in the mix for MVP. They need to win more. Um, but also, you know, between SGA and Tyrese Halliburton, what looked like an obvious choice as recently as a couple weeks ago, is getting a lot more interesting because he's just such a good shooter. And that was a question I had for you, actually. Somebody had tweeted this uh, a couple days ago. Do you think if Tyrese Halliburton had a normal-looking jump shot, how different would his career be? Like, would the Warriors have entertained him more seriously at number two, the year they had number two? And would we have all spent the last couple of years just kind of geeking out at this guy's numbers and saying, this is a future superstar staring us in the face? I think for whatever reason, he's got this herky-jerky game and that odd release on the jumper. It's hard for people to put him in that super duper star future MVP category, but maybe we should. And and frankly, the fact that he's even in the conversation makes me appreciate the aesthetics even more because there's just no one in the league that plays like him or looks like him as he's carving teams up. And I think that's fun. I love a little variety there. I think there's a really good chance he would have been a high, uh, drafted much higher than he was, possibly as high as you're saying, like number two that year. And I think it's also possible he would have wound up going to a bigger name college because I think those kinds of labels get put on kids really, really early, right? Like if you see somebody 
as a junior or senior in high school, he's got that janky of a jump shot. You're like, okay, well, there's nobody in the NBA who shoots like that. So this guy's not going to make the NBA, right? So you downgrade him a little bit. He winds up being overlooked. He doesn't necessarily get judged on how his team is performing uh, or if he's leading them to victories. It's just an easy thing to kind of write guys off or dismiss guys with, um, especially when he's not the most athletic guy in the building. You know, he's not the most powerful guy in the building. He obviously has got a lot of touch and feel, but sometimes that guy stuff gets overlooked as well. So, um, yeah, I think there's a real chance his career arc would have looked a lot different um, and he would have been viewed uh, more positively at an earlier stage uh, and drafted higher had he had a normal-looking jump shot. It's a very, very weird-looking jump shot. It splashes through at the end. I mean, that's what I would tell people. Don't you like the swish? Mm-hmm. Swish is pretty. Um, but even on that step back I was describing <laughs> earlier, I mean, he's like shot-putting in front of his body, and you're totally sure that Brooke Lopez is going to block it, right? Like You're just like waiting for Brooke Lopez to be able to close all that space yeah. down because it takes so long for him to uh, uncork it. But, you know, he put it in. I guess I put him in like that, you know, maybe the bottom of the MVP ballot conversation. Him versus SGA is really close. It sounds to me like you were trying really hard not to judge somebody on their best day or their worst day, which Mm. I appreciate. And, you know, we go back to Halliburton versus Fox. I mean, that's what was my take after watching him drain that three-pointer. It's like, oh, forget Darren Fox. This guy's the guy, you know. (laughs) I'm going with Halliburton all day long. Um, So I was was caught up a little bit in the moment as well. Uh, But that's... One of the most fun times in a player's NBA career, right? Where it's just that rapid ascension. We had it from John Morant during his his most improved player season. Halliburton might be a candidate for most improved player too. You know, that's it's a kind of a a whack take, honestly, but I could see people like voting for him, even though he was already an all-star last year because of the jump he's made and how unique and um just potent Indiana's offenses with him at the at the helm. So uh, a lot of good things happening for him and um I kind of like the small market versus big market showdown 2000 finals rematch in the in-season tournament championship game. The, the Pacers are not going to roll over like the Pelicans did. They're going to give yeah. it a go. Whether that go actually goes, I don't know. But I, I think it's going to be a, a fun time on Saturday night. Yeah, it should be cool. And, and, you know, earlier in the week I was saying the NBA is probably rooting for one of these teams to advance, one of these, like, name brand teams to advance. And that was not a comment on, like, the importance of market size, but I just thought it was important for the league to have a really good team be in the final instead of a couple well, of teams that are, like, playing caliber. Because at that point, you step back, you're like, well, did the good teams just not care about this tournament? And why right. should I care about this tournament in that context? But I think... But the, hold the, on, hold on. I mean, it wasn't this the Lakers Invitational. You saw what KD told me, right? I mean, he's like, I look, it's that. set up for the Lakers <laughs> to win, right? I mean, he's like, uh, they got the most fans, they got the shortest flight. You know, he was saying the Lakers beat the Suns, so he, his prediction was the Lakers to win the tournament. Once he said that, you had a lot of Lakers fans saying, thanks for the respect, KD. You know, it's like, you know, you're a classy guy in defeat. And then you had all non-Lakers fans being like, of course it's rigged for LeBron. Of course this is the Lakers <laughs> Invitational. That's why they're doing it in Vegas. They're just trying to give a new a new trophy. I felt like, you know, once it really boiled down to like the final eight, you know, it's the old David Stern. His dream matchup is Lakers versus Lakers. Wasn't Adam Silver's dream here Lakers versus anybody? I mean, like Giannis versus LeBron would have been very cool. You know, Tatum versus LeBron would have been cool, but... Doesn't he win just by the fact that the Lakers are there adding their luster to it, adding oh, their history sure. to it? I mean, that that I feel like Lakers Pacers is 
also a massive win if you're uh, you're out of silver, regardless of how small a market the Pacers might be. And you get a little underdog story, too. Now, if the Pacers beat the Lakers, are people going to look at this a little bit differently? Uh, it's possible. Um but yeah, but I, I who cares? I, I honestly think the, the bigger challenge was more if it's like Pacers, Pelicans, then it's like, okay, so I guess the, the good teams just didn't really invest right, very much right, in right. this, which wouldn't necessarily be fair because it's single elimination and crazy stuff happens and good teams play hard and, and you know, anything could happen. Uh, but I think the matchup that we got is actually pretty favorable for the NBA. You've got the, the classic Schlitz versus Glitz playbook you can go back yep. to and and you're also introducing Tyrese Halliburton to a national audience, which is really good for the league. And Halliburton, the last thought I have is that it's interesting to me watching Halliburton emerge as a superstar because it's kind of a fun window into how we talk about basketball now, where so much of the joy comes from actually watching him and the Pacers play. And I feel like taking joy in the aesthetics of basketball players is sort of a lost art form. Like everything is a trade machine conversation and people are thinking three and four years down the road. Uh, but that's what I've enjoyed most about the the last couple months of Halbert is like to really appreciate it. You just have to turn on a Pacers game and, and watch him play and watch him dominate with like a fourth grade jump shot like the the jumper that you develop when you're not <laughs> strong enough to get the ball to the rim which is literally how he developed the jump shot like he he started shooting that way cuz he wasn't strong enough to get it to the rim and then it just kept going in and every level of basketball he played coaches would try to change it and then he kept hitting shots uh and they would say you know what if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, that has continued all the way to the NBA. And he's told that story about how Steve Kerr, one of his pieces of advice when they were working out um, pre-draft was do not let anybody change your jump shot. So uh, it's just cool to hey. watch it all come together for him. I don't want to hear it from Steve Kerr, bro. Uh, you were right. I think you deserve a victory lap for the FIBA World Cup analysis. That's right. Jalen Brunson over Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> now that we're seeing what he can do when the shackles are off, how many times do we see, man, this second unit is really, uh, you know, really up tempo and fun and effective. And anytime Halliburton gets in there and they push the pace, the team looks so much better. Steve Kerr, I mean, it's not about, you know, change the jump shot or don't change the jump shot. Turn this guy loose, bro. You should know better than anyone with the, you know, the Steve Nash stuff and all that. Like, give me a break, man. Don't you think they could have won the World Cup if the ball was in Halley's hands? Oh, man, it's such a good take. You know, year 21, LeBron, can't wait to see you in Paris. Steve Kerr, I don't know what year of the coaching career he's in, but I don't necessarily know if he should be invited to Paris. You know, it's not my decision to make i'll leave it to grant hill but definitely left some points on the board uh back there in the philippines um and the only other note i'll make on on halliburton is that there's a clip that i'll retweet from at goat nba pod where he's discussing the evolution of his jump shot uh and it was probably my favorite piece of basketball content over the last several days so Check that out if you're so inclined. Yeah. But Ben, the new the new market efficiency for you 
is players with just wacky forms, it sounds like. You're just in now. If any high school SGA. prospect has a wacky form, <laughs> you're just you're gonna fully embrace them. I think it's a good corner to be on. Why not? Yeah, it's tough, man, because SGA is so great, uh, and he's got his own herky jerky appeal. Uh, but I think Tyrese Halbert, like he's a better passer and also a better shooter, doesn't have the size that SGA gives you, which I think as you get further in the playoffs becomes more important. So I don't know. I'll leave that to the listeners. If you've got takes hit us at greatest of all talk at gmail.com but ben we've come too far without acknowledging the ugliness we saw over the last couple of days uh so first we've got the pelicans and then we also have the bucks which do you want to start with which mess should we address first here all right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.